We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. In honor of a historic Super Bowl on Sunday, Arsenal staged a game of hand egg on the Emirates pitch this week. We'll cover that and more on this week's edition of the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I am uh, doped up on every over-the-counter drug you can take for things that cause you to have mucus pouring out of the orifices of your body where mucus is residing. So I hope that's a good start to the podcast. We'll see how it goes from there. Uh, thankfully, there are people who hopefully have more of their mucus on the inside than the outside. The first of them is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Hello, Paul. Hello. You are aware there's nine medical orifices in your body? Are there? Yeah. Uh, well, I... Could, That's a lot of mucus, Elliot. I could give you a play-by-play of which ones have mucus coming out of them, if you'd like. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, we could even create a few extra ones, but let's not do that. You know what? Let's move on. Uh, Tim will be traveling to Bavaria because we, uh, we're, I don't know, we're staging a, a beer tasting festival or something. There must be something going on. Anyway, he's not here. Clive is, thankfully, though. And you can find him at Clive PAFC on Twitter. Thanks for coming back, Clive. No problem. Looking forward to it. There's no mucus jokes coming from me. Let's there you talk go. about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep That's it with where the football. Where the class resides. We will talk about the uh, the runny nose that is Arsenal Football Club at the moment. Okay, well, that's fine. Let's uh, let's talk football instead of my orifices and my, my bodily fluids, if that's okay with everybody. Uh, it was a 2-0 two nil, two nil victory in midweek. Uh, pardon me, at the weekend, not in midweek. You know what? It was a 2-0 victory against Hull. Who cares when it happened? It happened. It's not an alternative fact. It's a fact. Um, it doesn't matter that we were the beneficiary of uh, calls that may or may not have been Deserved. We will get to that more. But let's start with um, 
just sort of the, the lineup and how we set up and, and, and approach this game. And, you know, I think despite the fact, Paul, that this game settled into a pattern that was a little bit uh, disappointing or uninspired, whether you're a fan of XG or you just have eyes and like watching the game, we had the chances to make this a laugher early. The XG suggests that where we were dominant statistically. I think video evidence supports that at least early on where we had a lot of chances we didn't convert. I think the narrative of this game is that it was an ugly performance, and we'll get into some of the reasons why I think it, it was lacking. But were you fairly encouraged, at least by the way it started and how that mobile front line was causing them some problems at least early on? Um, encouraged. It, look, it was an odd day, an odd game, and it was an odd kind of crowd and mood, uh, and all understandable. I mean, we we don't need the five minute conversation on why. We all know why, but it just was kind of odd. I mean, you saw it even when uh, Alexis scored his goal, and he jumps up in the air, and he's like about halfway up in the air. He realizes the intensity of the crowd is not matching his intensity, and he kind of tones it down a bit. It was just. Uh, understandably this team is low on confidence sadly um but that said uh in a way it was it was lagging the performance and the capability it wasn't a great performance but we created plenty really the alexis's goal was his third really good goal scoring opportunity and in a way it was the it was obviously the crappiest goal scoring opportunity because uh, the other two were quality uh, and after really nice moves. This was a pretty good move, uh, but scrappy. I agree with your your premise that actually, you know, Hull came to play. They they played, came to play all over the park. Uh, and I think they were, pre- they were pretty reasonable opposition in good form and fancied their chances. And uh, why wouldn't they? They were in the game until the 90th minute, literally. And... Uh, Yet, um, I think we were starting to play pretty well. The the flexible front three, Alexis dropping back and creating chances. Uh, you know, Ozil for a guy who wasn't in, isn't in good form and doesn't have confidence and and is in a bit of a funk. You know, he's the guy who did the run that broke the line for the goal, connecting with the Wobie. Uh, so this is a format that. Uh, I think allowed a lot of players to begin to shine um, and maybe just about enough in enough time to start giving us confidence start yeah. start giving well, us confidence for buying I, I think here's the interesting thing for me with this game and what makes it tough to analyze I thought we were excellent in transitions and when we won the ball back mm-hmm. up the pitch we gave them a lot of problems um, I, I think we won it off a Kupovic error and there were a couple times we dispossessed them in the back or when they tried to play out from the yeah, back. And then there was the Coquelin header that put yep. uh, Alexis through straight on goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the Coquelin intercept, the really risky flying through the uh, through across the ground into a spin and a tumble interception that again put us through on goal. That might have been the one that ended up uh, Bellerin putting wide. Putting but anyway, wide. Yep. it was. Mm-hmm. In, well, but, yeah. but that was the interesting so, thing yeah. when we were when we were. Pressing and getting the ball off them in transition, we were pretty effective. Um, there were a few mm-hmm. near misses for Ozil when he, he could have probably done more. There, there was the volley that he didn't hit well. Um, but th- that was the bright spot. The really, really dark spot, um, darker than even the, the fluids that are escaping my body at the time, uh, 
was the build-up play from the back and when we tried to build in possession. And so, Clive, I want to talk to you about that. I think Oxlade-Chamberlain has shown that he has a, an ability to play this central midfield role. And in fact, I, I think he's arguably been better there than he's been on the wing. And in fact, when we shifted him to the wing, albeit briefly, I think it was one of our worst periods of the match. Um, yeah. But we had a clear problem building from the back. And there was a moment that I watched, it was in the 30th minute, it was like 29, you know, a few few seconds past 29 for, for a couple of minutes where the, the defenders had the ball and there was no Arsenal player within 30 yards. They weren't in the shot. And this seemed to be a feature of our buildup all game, that Mustafi or Kashani would have the ball, they'd give it to each other, and then they'd play long because there was just no no linking play. And our players were clustered either in the left half space of the attacking third or the right half space of the attacking third, but no one was coming to occupy the middle of the pitch. Um, I guess the question I have for you is, what is the problem with this system right now that's making it so difficult for us to use the middle of the pitch effectively and build up from the back? Is it is it a Coughlin problem specifically? Is that where you see it short-circuiting? It is, it is slightly. It's, it's, it is to do with profile of player. Right? So Coughlin and uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain, I mean what I call front foot second midfielders. And the back foot midfielders that we have are Elneny, um, Santi and Shaka. And they're the guys that want it off the back line. They want to get it. They don't mind support line running. They want to get it. But they need to partner somebody like a Cochran or an Oxlade-Chamberlain. That second midfielder who wants to move, drive, press, be a bit more dynamic. But that first midfielder, that's the guy that's brave to receive it on the half turn. Brave to receive it where he can't always see the next pass, but he's confident in his technique. They can stop, start, move off the spot, touch, touch, go again. But... Oxley Chamberlain can do it when there's not so much pressure on the ball. But Cochrane, he, he doesn't feel comfortable doing it. And his support line runs, almost like decoy runs, they're not real runs. And so he's never really wanting to be that person to start things off. And some people say to me that he's what uh, what we call a DM, the one in front of back four. I think he's shown, just through the fact we've lost Shaka, that actually that's not his position anymore. People like to have that tackle in front of the back four, but the way modern football's played is you build through that person. And that person, is that skill set is not Cochrane's skill set. He's somebody that switches on when someone else has the ball or he's a, he gets it off the second phase. So it's a profile player issue. I think uh, Oxley chamberlain has shown really, really... And Paul, you said it when I was last on, actually. Maybe he could be the partner for Shaka and... Now you sort of close your eyes and you've seen him two or three times in that position. You're thinking, imagine if he had a you know, a director behind him, somebody who wants to go and get that ball all the time off first phase from the back line. And then Oxlade Chamberlain could be the one next to him doing the running, being his legs, being his speed. But also when he receives it, he can run through the lines. He's good in wide areas. He covers out. So I think it's just a profile of player issue. and We're just making do with... Cochrane and Oxlade Chamberlain, but really we're missing that first midfielder who can receive it on the half turn. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And, and I, you know, if you look at what was going on for large stretches of the game, there was, you know, Theo who was just standing all the way up the pitch on the edge of the last defender, you know, wanting to make that run that he loves to make, but but not necessarily coming back to get involved. And you had Awobi pushed up, and Alexis and Ozil pushed up. And I, I watched Coughlin, and you know, I, I, I get the sense that he has been instructed to 
get forward to create interceptions and ball recoveries and, and you know give us transition opportunities. But he does not want to come back to receive the ball in deep midfield. And I think a big part of that is because he knows that it exposes him, and he doesn't want that exposure. And that leaves us with really one player in Oxley chamberlain to cover huge swaths of the pitch in terms of trying to drop back and collect the ball and carry it forward. And it didn't happen, and we wound up playing long a lot. I mean, Paul, it's, I think it is an Ozil problem and a Coughlin problem in the sense that you have a two-man midfield. One of them is not a possession-oriented player who wants the ball at his feet at all. And the other is a guy who wants to be getting forward and, and playing right behind a striker who wants a free role, who, who, who isn't, you know, the sort of traditional number 10 that we used to think of. He's, he's a forward. And so we have one player in, in the middle of the pitch that wants to have the ball. I mean, is that, is that really what it's come to and why we're seeing such struggles to control that part of the pitch and build up through it? Well, I do think that's right. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with Coquelin. Uh, very often pushing forward, therefore you can't be in two places at the one time if the ball goes the other direction. So um, if he's going to be on the pitch at the moment, it seems like Arson wants to move him upfield, use him upfield, uh, use his strengths further up the field um, so that we're playing it, forcing the play to be in the third. Um, you, do, you did see that Kokla actually connected quite a lot with the Ozil and that left that left-hand pocket of Awobi. And I know uh, Clive wants to get into talking to, about Awobi, who I thought he had a really interesting game. Awobi, uh, Sanchez, um, and Gibbs. We should talk about him a little bit too. Um, so there was that kind of, uh, that network over there. And on the other side, you had Oxley chamberlain linking up with Bellerin and Mustafi a lot. Um, and knocking it around there. I, so what I did want to say on Oxley chamberlain I don't want to get too far ahead because we've had many, you know, uh, many false dawns. But actually, the, what Clive talked about, the receiving the ball on the half turn, Oxley chamberlain did that a few times really nicely. Now, I, I take Clive's point. He He's not under the same pressure against a hull as he is maybe yeah. uh, as he's about to be. Uh, or against a top team pressurizing him. But I actually think he has the potential to be more comfortable receiving the ball on the turn and under pressure if his other flaws don't reemerge. Um, he has that skill more than Chaka does. The quick feet, the ability to beat the press, um, the, the dribble, the get out of trouble. What we haven't seen with him for some time is the, cam, the cool, calm head and the decision-making. But we have, I think, by and large, over the last three games. I think maybe what we're seeing with Ox, uh, I think I, I had a go at, at uh, floating it, which I'm not sure of, but I'll, I'll keep a watching eye on, is he's actually a guy, uh, you know, we're all different. He's a guy who needs to actually be involved in the game mm-hmm. fully the whole time to maintain we were afraid he was going to lose his attention and display bad decision-making. And that, that may still come to pass. But over these last few games, you'd say, by and large, um, he's always been, you know, he's covering back. He's not, uh, when he's got the ball in the box, he didn't do what he did half a season or a season ago and do some dangerous pass across the uh, the front of the box. He's Everything he's done has kind of come off. Uh, there was that beautiful minute towards the 90th minute where he plays it out of from uh, from Gibbs's side 
uh, I think it's with Gibbs anyway, they do the one-two and he sprints up the wing. I mean, there's only a few players, there's only two players in our team who can do that, and that's him and Santi mm-hmm. uh, through the midfield. So it's kind of enticing. Uh, uh, we don't want to get too far ahead, but he he has the prospect of doing for us what we were hoping Ramsey was going to do, but he got injured again uh, in providing that second player. But maybe with more comfort and facility, uh, you know, he's displaying some some really nice passing choices, some arcing uh, passes, some some variety outside of his right foot in the last game. In this game, he curved it up the right wing. He he swung it to the left wing diagonals. So there's a lot of promise here, but it's very, very early. It is. And with a critical game around the corner. I think, you know, I, I mean, it, it sounds crazy to say it, but I think what benefits Ox in midfield is that he has more options to play the ball to, to a variety of players, and he has more time. You know, when you yeah. are in the attacking that's, that's, third, yeah. and there's one pass that's on, and you have to make that pass at the right time, or the goal-scoring chance is gone— that pressure doesn't seem to suit him. Um, yeah. I think when you're carrying it through the midfield and you can beat a man and you can look up and there's three or four options and you can try the extravagant over-the-top pass and if it doesn't come off, no one's going to say, oh, you, you killed that chance. So much of the frustration with Ox has come from making the wrong decision in a split-second moment in an attack that caused the attack to die. Um, and I, you yeah, know, I, And ironically, he put us in more trouble from the wing which is where you put him to keep the team safe. Yes. I can see why he was put out there for so long. Let's keep him out there where he, where he can, can do the least damage. And in fact, when he's been put in the middle and kept busier and kept more involved, his, men, his decision-making has gotten better, more secure, his touch, his, his choices. So it's I kind of ironic. I had given yeah. up on Ox. Um, and <laughs> I'm never I'm never slow with the trigger on giving up on a player. I know, but but um, I, I just don't think he he was giving us enough consistent quality performances on the sure. wing. And the manager had always said he saw a central midfielder there. And again, it just begs the question: you know, why did he get so many chances on the wing when it was clear that wasn't coming off for him? When this is probably where the project should have moved to. And I mean, I'm not saying that he's the answer, or the solution, or whatever you want to call it, but. I think he certainly played himself into the picture, given you know Ramsey's injury and Cazorla's injury, and Jack is out on loan, and um, you know we we have serious questions about what that midfield partnership should look like because Coughlin and Ramsey has clearly shown it can't work. And any anywho, enough of that. Uh, real quick, Clive, because I have a, another question for you, but I know you wanted to mention Iwobi's performance. What did you make of him on the day? No, I just I just looking at Iwobi and looking at the shortcomings we spoke about earlier about receiving the ball, and he's probably playing to instruction. But I feel if if he just tucked in a little bit more and actually helped Coquelin out, got a bit closer to him on the first receiver and actually took the ball and then travelled with it a little bit from deep. But he's playing that wide left, you know, old Alexis role. He stayed wide the whole game. If you look at where his passes were, they were all from really from the wing position. Exactly. And uh, what we're doing, we're restricting the space from Gibbs to run into. We're we're giving Ozil a bit of a free pass because he's got another ball player out wide, so he doesn't have to do that. And but we're leaving Coquelin really in a position where his strengths are not magnified, his weaknesses are magnified. And I just feel as a manager, why don't you just tuck Awobi in? Play him as a tight three. You got, you know, you got a couple of people who can receive the ball. And you can build your play and, and just move Ozil certainly f- further up and make their roles much more defined. 
And what I'm trying to do with Iwobi right now, and I'm picking my Bayern Munich team in my head, I'm not sure I want him in it because I, I don't know what he is at the moment. And I'm not, I don't think it's all his fault. I just think he's getting caught between two players. And I don't think his role is properly defined as I'd like it to be with the current personnel we had in the last couple of weeks. So I think there's more to come from him. I think we just need to realise that actually we've got some big games coming. And are these games for him? He's had a couple of patches in 20-minute patches on the left-hand side, but that's been it. I think a lot more from that position. We've got a decision to make, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, let me stay with you on another player that I think you know, there's there's going to be natural debate about, and that's Mesut Ozil. And it's interesting because he actually had some chances in this game and, and had some interesting pieces of skill that he pulled off that I thought were exceptional. And, and he did get into the attack. But I, I I have a theory with Mesut Ozil that you know, we are quick to judge him because he is such an important player for us, but we don't always see how dependent he is on the service he's getting from midfield to be able to do his best work. Um, I think it is no coincidence that Mesut Ozil thrives when Santi Cazorla is in the side, for example. He wants to stay more advanced, and when he does that, he has the the ability and the technique to pass people open, to find space. He he pops up in those little pockets of space between central midfield and the and the front three, where it's hard for teams to track him and run with him, and then he creates those passing lanes by doing that and and stretches the defense out of position. When you have Francis Coughlin and, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain in midfield, and you don't have anyone who's really creating that that uh, delivery into the spaces he wants to be, he starts to drop deeper, or he starts to move to the wings to get the ball off the fullbacks and things like that. And I think it takes him out of the positions where he's naturally going to be most effective. So is that me just applying a lot of over-analytical bullshit to a player who's just out of form? Is there something to it? Is it a combination of the two? What do you think about it? Well, I, I look at it slightly differently. I look at it as he's our record signing, right? So, and you guys live in America, and we talk about, like, say, like basketball, you have, like, your franchise players. You have Le- LeBron James. One of his key things that he does is not only is he, like, that's one of the top scorers, he makes other players look better. And that was a, a key sort of identifier for Mesut Ozil. He makes us look better, and he makes other players look better. So when I start to judge him, I start to look at the last few weeks, and I'm thinking, actually, you're not making us look better. You're not making anyone else look better. And and you're meant to be our, our franchise player, our record signing, our top-paid player. And at the moment, I'm looking at a player that's lost confidence, that's looking inward at himself and searching for his role in the team. And I think some of that's tactical, some of that's down to the manager, some of that's down to how he's been used, some of that's down to how he's developed his game. He's making much more channel runs. But I'm, you know, if a good player, a top, top player for me, looks at what the team needs. And if you're playing with Coquelin mm. and without Santi, you've got to come and take some build-up responsibility. We had we had forwards, you know, on the pitch. We had Iwobi, we had Theo, we had Alexis. Did need another one overloading there, not so sure. We need we need Urzel to come and help us build the play. I think it's key and he, he always does this really, really well. He recognises what the team needs and then he delivers it. But what you're finding now with the confidence where it is, I think he's searching for a moment. He's searching for a goal. He's searching for an assist high up. And at the cost of us building play. And so I almost want him to get that goal so he feels like he can go anywhere again. 
at the moment, I think he's almost goal hanging. Does that make sense? He's staying on. He's staying on the high up, trying to look for a moment, and the moment hasn't come yet. And when it doesn't come, he's looking more and more frustrated as the passes are going out from players who haven't got the layers of passing to find him with a backspin like Cazorla can. So it, it's frustrating to watch him at the moment. I don't want to kill him because he's my top five favorite ever Arsenal players, but he's out of form. There, there's and no question about what, that. I, I mean, what there's do we no do question. With that? I, I just think. You know, and it is difficult, right? Because if you have a player who wants a free roll and wants to be sort of the just the the touch of inspiration in the side, and you don't want to control him, you don't want to tie him down to a specific tactical discipline, then you need players behind him that add structure and add a tactical approach yep. that allows that player to do what he's doing. And I think when you have Francis Coughlin standing on the halfway line or ahead of the halfway line, and he's stepping up and he's stepping up and he's stepping up, and that's what he's always doing, he wants to get forward. And Oxlade-Chamberlain, I I think, is doing a nice job. But again, it's it's one player in midfield to control 40 yards of space. And just watch it. Go to the 30th minute, 29 to to 31 of the game, and watch Mustafi on the ball or Koscielny on the ball, and they have no one to give it to. Um, and it's yep. interesting because I watched Hull, and you know, by the way, I, I think it's worth pointing out this is a very different Hull side than what we saw earlier in the season, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with struggling a little bit against this Hull side because they're not that Hull side. But you know, they they did a little of that, not really the flying V that PSG did against us, but they had those triangles that moved the ball up the pitch just by playing around those one or two midfield players, and it allowed them to advance the ball up the pitch with quick passes that just bypassed that disjointed pressure that we were putting on with really one or two players. Um, you know, I think if you get Ozil out of this the firing line right now of, of having to occupy so much space and you say, we're going to put Elneny and Shaka in midfield with Oxley chamberlain and play a three, and we're going to give Ozil that, that position Iwobi's been occupying and let him play it more inside, you know, drift in, find the spaces, let him have more of a free roll from that wide left position – now you have the structure behind him to to protect him from being exposed where he's weak and allow him to emphasize where he's strong. I, I, Paul, I don't want to lock you out of this because obviously Ozil is a really important thing. And Just one last word before I, I do turn it over to you. I don't think you win big games and big tournaments taking your best player out of the side. You win things by finding ways to get your best player going, right? So... If you say, let's sit Mesut Ozil down for Bayern Munich, what you're really saying is, I don't have a way to get the best out of Mesut Ozil. I, I can't solve the problem. Now, I get that players lose form, but you want your best players on the pitch, and it's incumbent upon the manager to put Ozil in a position to rediscover his form. At least that's my opinion. So, Paul, what do you see when you watch Ozil play right now? So, I agree with all of that. Uh, but who'd be a manager? Because at the end of the day, how did the first goal come about? Mesut Ozil drops deep, picks up the ball from Koscielny, plays it up to Iwobi, and I agree with... Uh, I certainly think there's merit to Clive's point on Iwobi, but guess what? Iwobi was right in that pocket. Uh, Clive was talking about receives the ball. Ozil pushes deep to the byline, picks up the ball, um, and effectively has split all their lines of defense and puts it in, and Gibbs then get, grabs the rebound off that... And, uh, puts a nice shot across the keeper. So it's kind of against our whole philosophy. That's how the chance comes against Hull. Um, uh, uh, the philosophy we're debating here in terms of a, 
a change of emphasis for, say, those two players. But against, you don't see that opportunity happen against Bayern. At the end of the day, it was kind of soft that, that Ozil could run in a straight line through their defense and receive the ball from Awobi off a fairly straight and direct pass. So that's where you run into trouble. The, the question, the issue with Ozil really is he's suffered more than anybody from the midfield pairings, the, the cha- chopping the changes and the fact that they don't work. So the question is, will he suddenly perk up? If we water the flower, will it suddenly kind of come back to life in the pot or do we need, do we need to uh, bin it somehow? Not to bin Ozil, but See, the, the whole current concept. Can I make a point about that yeah. real quick, though? There are types of players yeah. that, I, you know, I know there are a lot of people that say form doesn't exist. Well, form clearly does exist in the sense that players get confident, they go through a period where they trust themselves, they back themselves, and then when they lose that confidence, sometimes they miss the easy ones. Olivier Giroud is the best example of a player that proves that form does exist. When he is out of confidence and out of form, he really struggles to finish. And I think the difference with Mesut Ozil is, you know, if you have strikers, guys whose job is to put the ball in the back of the net when the opportunity presents itself, you can lose your self-confidence with that, and it can be very difficult to get back. But Mesut Ozil is a player whose game is built on incredible technique. And I don't think he's lost his touch, his technique, his ability to receive the ball, to turn, to make a guy look stupid, to play a, a, a perfect pass. Like I know he's not pulling it off as much as he was, but I think that's as much down to, you know, this is a guy who's playing with Santi Cazorla or a Granit Xhaka in midfield, and he had Alexis yeah. Sanchez at center forward, and then you take Santi Cazorla away, and you take Alexis Sanchez out of center forward, and you put Olivier Giroud in, and you ask him to adapt to that, and then you take Shaka out, and you, you know now he's playing with a totally new central midfield, and they go back to Alexis as the the sort of mobile center forward, and I, yeah. I think you know for him that, that's asking. Yeah, go ahead. That that was really where I was going with it. I think you phrased it quite nicely. the The interesting thing will be if he's lined up with. So who do we all think the midfield pairing will be or should be against Bayern? Cause well, that's the question. It, it, yeah. yeah, so, you know, what well, argument come, is... Let's come to that. Look, put, I, let's, play, yeah. let's press pause on the whole think, game for a minute and yeah. say this. Based on who's going to be available, and Clive, why don't you take a first swing at it? Who, not who do you think the manager will play. Who Who would you like to see in midfield for Bayern? Well, I would like to see... El Nenny, Shaka, and Oxlade Chamberlain in the three. Would you That's bench right. Ozil or play him on that forward left position? I I would play him higher up. I play him. I would go diamond. Play him at tip of a diamond. Have two forwards, or I play him on the left. He wouldn't bother me. I just want three in, three centre mids in, because this is a two-legged tie, and for the just hopefully for the first time we can get to a situation where we're going to be in the leg in the tie on the second leg. So I would play El Nenny, I'll bring Shaka back in, and I'll play Oxlade Chamberlain as the third midfielder. And uh, I'd have Ozil up front with um, Walcott and um, Alexis. That's what I would do. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily agree on the Walcott front, but I totally agree with needing three in midfield. The irony, of course, against Bayern is against teams that will probably have the lion's share of possession and where we'll be forced back a little deeper, you could argue that you don't need the three in midfield if you're not going to contest the midfield, if you're going to sit deeper and defend and spring the counterattack, then it's a waste of an extra body in midfield because you could just go for pacey wingers to help spring that attack. Um, and in that case, you could play a Shaka and Coughlin or a Shaka and El Nenny, Ozil, you know, 
sort of as the the uh, the force to feed those those runners ahead of him on the counterattack. But yeah, I would love to see three in midfield. Paul, why don't you uh, give us your three or two? Okay, or I go. You, I go with Chaka and Ox as the two. Uh, Chaka uh, to help to help passes out of midfield. Uh, Oxford Chamberlain to help burst from uh, being in the defensive position, break the line and sprint upfield. Find Ozil to his left. Ozil swings the forward ball to uh, Alexis up front and whoever we have on the right wing. I, I kind of uh, if if Welbeck can play two games in the same uh, short spell, I'd love to see him play. If not, I'd love to see Perez play just for the craft and the busyness. Uh, Walcott would come third on the right wing for me, but I still think he could be highly effective for us for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah you know what? I, I but, agree but that if, as well. I think if, sorry, just to finish it off, I think that too, I mean, we haven't seen it happen, and it could be a complete flop, but the, the Chaka-Ox uh, pairing uh, could work really well for and with Ozil, with Chaka a little bit more to the Ozil side. Clive, you, you wanted to answer that? Yeah, I, I sort of... I, I said Theo was almost as an automatic. But actually, he, he if you look at his passing again and you look at how we didn't connect with him again, sometimes these big games are, are risk management. And there comes a point when we can't always go with a player that's not very high-touch. I just want to see 11 players in, in this game that are high-touch players that want to impact the game, that can impact the game, that can combine that are comfortable on the ball. I think Theo is a bit more of a wild card in these big games. I think in home games, he feels more comfortable, maybe. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'll go back on my earlier statement. It's it's so tough in a way, though, because on the one hand, I totally agree with you. You want to put the players in there who can get involved and give you some possession and help you control the game. On the other hand, if you acknowledge that that's not what you're good at anymore and that the odds are you're going to get bullied and that you're going to get pushed back and that you're not going to have the ball, suddenly having a guy who's as fast as a cheetah who has a good record of finishing in the Champions League isn't such a bad option. I mean, I thought Theo was, and I'm a Theo guy, but I thought he was pretty atrocious against Hull, and I realized that he's not one of these players that you have on the pitch to be constantly involved, but when we're struggling as much as we are in possession against weaker sides, having a guy who's going to have 30 touches in a game is a luxury we can't afford. In a game where you're going to have 35% possession, having a guy who's going to have 20 touches is a luxury you can afford if he's constantly running in behind their aging players who can't keep up with him. So it really is a conundrum for the manager because I don't see how we can continue to use players like Coughlin and Walcott, for example, in games where we expect to be the dominant force. But I do see how we can use them in games where we don't, where we want to win the ball and quickly transition. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think Welbeck has to start if he's fit enough to start because I think he gives us a great combination of Theo's pace and, and power and ability to get behind with the ability to slide into the middle and be a target man if we get into wide positions, the ability to uh, give us some kind of set-piece threat. And if we want to press even a little bit, he's obviously a much more dynamic pressing force. So let, we'll come back to Byron in just a minute. I want to go back to the Hull game and a couple quick hits from that. First of all, I don't feel the need to debate referee decisions unless they're really debatable. As far as I'm concerned, the goal should stand because it's the letter of the law. It is not an intentional handball. I can see why people feel it's unfair because that ball doesn't go in without contacting his hand, but it's unintentional. So, I mean, can we move on from that? Do you guys both agree the letter of the law says that should stand? 
Yeah, the letter no. law says <laughs> the the letter law says it should stand, but um, maybe maybe the law needs to change. Well, right. I mean, it feels like a wrong decision. I mean, to me, it felt like a fucking great decision. I'd love to throw thirty goals in the net every game and win the league and walk. But um, I, I mean, Paul, you think it's against the spirit of the game to score a goal that way? Well, uh, so I think it's it's uh, it was a goal according to everything we the the. Uh, spectator understand but it's quite clear to me that the referees in general uh look to call that goal off i mean clattenberg was baking them a cake at halftime to apologize to them the pgmol or whatever uh said it was it wasn't and then it was a goal and i think the last one was just ass covering um and they made it very clear that the reason it shouldn't be a goal is because, in general, it l- makes the game look bad, which means it makes the referees look bad. So, uh, without debating the decision too much, what's clear is there's the set of rules, they, the guidelines, rather, as they say in, the, in Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, there's the guidelines that they all stick to and the rules we're all judging games by. And those two don't, don't match. I mean... I think that's quite clear. Um, the the other interesting aspect is if that's not a goal, neither was that last minute win, winner by Koscielny, where he bundles all, all, it over the line uh, from his arm. So that's two goals that, if the referees, I think, had seen the way we saw it on the replay, that I think they would have called that off. I don't think they would have given those goals. They would have said it was. They would have in effect implied it was deliberate just because it looks ugly and that's those aren't the decisions they want to be associated with counterpoint counterpoint real quick ha 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 fuck all we don't care right would that be the counterpoint yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay good. Yeah. just make sure we're on the same page there okay so uh, i de- i mean i definitely think it's a goal by the rules as we all knew them it's just the the referees have this other thing Things that look really bad and give us too much shit. I tell you what, if it's if it comes off a guy's hand and into the goal, then we call it a handball. Which that's <coughs> typically what you see. They they don't do the when it, off uh-huh. a goal. If they see it, they call it. Yeah, I think that's right. So all right, well, look, I mean, the goal's given. I don't really have a problem with it. Obviously. I can see if it wasn't given why it wouldn't be, but it was. The game petered out for a while until we got the goal at the end, but really quickly, uh, Clive, any thoughts on the late part of the game when we had Lucas and Welbeck on there and just how we looked towards the end? Yeah, well, last time I was on, we spoke about the the vulnerability of green grass and centre midfield. Well, there seems to be a lot of vulnerability in wide areas, and when Lucas and, and Welbeck came on, it didn't make me feel any more comfortable because it was a really cold day. They both looked stiff as boards. They couldn't cover their wide men. I thought um, Hull had two excellent wide men in Grzycki and was it Markovic, his name is, and um, and they were quite quick and they caused us problems. And um, you know, thinking ahead to Bayern, I'm just so concerned about our wide areas, particularly particularly with Douglas Costa and Robin and Ribri as options. And it's a it, it's a, it's a worry, right? So we didn't really see much of them going forward. But, you know, Lucas is a really interesting player and well bet. They, they just seem to impact games. 
and they just seem to come on with a real intention and real, I, I call them adult footballers that are just not concerned by anything else but the moment in front of them. And they're getting to a level now where they're, they're giving us a 7 out of 10 every time they get on the pitch. Our reliable players, and you know, going back to our point with Theo, when you know when Theo hits it, it's either a nine or it's either a, a six or a four. You know, so um, I think we need a little bit more from the from the games upcoming. So, um, and those guys are putting pressure on him for sure. Well, to the, to the point about vulnerability on the wing, I mean, Paul, one thing that was interesting is that uh, Gibbs got the start in the game. I don't think it was a good day for him. Markovic had a pretty successful day. I thought he was he was on skates quite a bit that game. I mean, do you think this was the last we'll see of Gibbs starting for a little bit? You think Nacho gets re, uh, reinstated to the starting position there? He might do. It wasn't Gibbs's best game. There was the ball over his head that he maybe misjudged. Uh, that I think Markovic uh, or whoever the the guy in that spot was at the time. Uh, got the drop on him in the second half and put a ball across the box. Uh, that was kind of a telling moment. Um, but uh, I didn't think he had an, a, a a black or a white game. I thought it was a mixed bag. The interesting thing against uh, Bayern would be I'd go at them with speed. Um, it's now, this is an older team. You know, we talk about uh, Robin and Ribery. Now, I haven't really watched them this year, but... From what I hear, this team's getting on a bit. Now, they'll probably put out their, their youngest selection of the year. But, you know, one of the things Gibbs get, gives you is the option to get forward and back really quick. Um, now, you're going to be more secure uh, from a, a ball handling standpoint with Nacho. Um, so he could be the safe choice. I could see it going either way, but... I might be tempted to to roll the dice with Gibbs. He was hmm. he was you know, he was in spot for the 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 shot that led to the goal. Uh Bellerin on the other wing if they had uh Welbeck in front of them. Uh Iwobi is not the fa- you know, he's not slow but he's not fast. But if you had Alexis and Welbeck and Ozo ready to sprint forward, ox through the middle of the park, um you know, if we stay on our game, uh, we, we'll give them conniptions every time we have a chance to break. So, I don't know. I could go either way on that. Mm. It, it feels like such an important fixture in a way because it's, you know, there's there's not a lot we're playing for in the league at the top. I mean, we're, we're playing to stay in the top four, and that should be, you know, a, a very challenging top four to, to stay in. And then, you know, with Sutton coming up in the FA Cup, we, we could potentially have an FA Cup run lined up. Um, I feel like if we can... I think that's fair. The, the other thing I'd add on the natural thing, though, in recent times is he has been slow to close down crossers, slow to get out. And uh, maybe maybe sitting on the bench for a game will fix that. But, you know, you, you still have that issue of, of Nacho not being aggressive at closing down guys coming into the box or putting in crosses. So I think I can go easy either way on the danger there. Yeah, I, that's fair. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think ultimately left back is a position we're going to have to address. I mean, is is there an answer, Clive, at left back for you that feels conclusive? I think Nacho gets it just because I think we're going to be slightly deeper lying defending, and I think he's better at that. I think his combination play is better. 
he was, he was also, for me, he was rested at the weekend. We've got Sutton next week, and I see the English boy Gibbs playing at Sutton and that on that in that ground. So um, I just think Nacho is more suited to a European game, and I think he um, he does well in Europe. I think I think he'll play. Um, the real solution doesn't doesn't lie at the club. We need we need a that's a summer buy. We yeah. may need mm-hmm. we need we may we may even need two. You know, depending we on what happens. Young lad, though. From yeah. Division yeah. 19. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, we, I, we need we need a we need a we need a proper buy. You know, someone like the kid, the guy up Monaco, Mendy looks very very good. Someone like that, a power runner on the left hand side, so we can we can flirt different formations and have you know really offensive fullbacks with strength. And, uh, we haven't got that at the moment. So um, Gibbs, I think he's a little bit crushed. I think he's looking for a moving, and I think Nacho may develop into the second left-back in time. We need to buy a first left-back for me in the summer. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Well, I, I do think it'll be Nacho coming back into the side for Bayern. We'll see. Um, ultimately, we got we got the second goal we needed to make the, the game the points safe through uh, an Alexis penalty that he kind of assisted. He sort of assisted himself because he played just an absolutely beautiful ball uh, on the counterattack over the top to uh, Lucas whose header was handled off the line. It was just all handball all the time this match. And then uh, and then Alexis uh, put the penalty away. And that was the end of the game. And, and I think, you know, it, it, it is such a crucial period we're entering into now. Because if you think about it, let's say we go to Bayern and win somehow. Or, or even get a score draw. Something that puts us in position to feel like we could go through. And then we beat Sutton. And then we don't play again till March. And there's kind of a, a mid-season break, essentially, that comes for us. Going into that feeling like, all right, we've got things back on track a little in the league, and we're through in the FA Cup, and we're in position to potentially get to a quarterfinal in the Champions League, there'll still be a lot of optimism, I think, surrounding the club. But if we take, you know, a hiding at Bayern, um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's any risk that we lose to Sutton. I probably just jinxed it there. But, you know, it, it will feel very different. And I, th- I think it could be easy for the players to sort of switch off a little and, and lose contact with what's going on especially with a couple weeks off before the next match after that so it really is a big fixture I guess we covered the midfield a little bit um so I don't know that we need to go through the lineup let's just go through the forward line real quick so Paul I mean you you said you wanted Shaka and Elneny in midfield correct no Shaka uh now I'm not positive Shaka Knox yeah that's right yeah Uh, hard to drop them right now so who would you put Uh, ahead of them uh, Ozil, I mean, as the 10, mm-hmm. the floating 10. Um, what I'd really like to see is more interchange between Iwobi uh, and Ozil, depending on the game state. At those times, we need some hard graft in midfield. Let them swap. And at those times in which we're beginning to dominate possession, you know, let Ozil start to float. And Iwobi, now, that's a little bit of a coordination, but the uh, I do think they, there should be more synergy between those two. So, but Ozil is the 10. There will be out left. Uh, Welbeck or Perez on the right. Welbeck's my preference. And Alexis up top, of course. What about you, Clive? Yeah, I, I would go three in. I, I would have... It, it doesn't really worry me. Long as Shaka plays and long as the Ox plays. Shaka's Sh- not going to play. We all know that, right? He's going to keep. Yeah, he should play. In my opinion, <laughs> of course he should. right? So uh, he's, you know, he's a he's a key player for us, and let, he directs us. Let me ask us. you this: Which is going to upset you more, Shaka staying on the bench or Giroud getting the start? 
Well, you know, Giroud didn't, you know, didn't even even attempt to warm up at the weekend, and it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if he played. It wouldn't surprise me at all because what he does. Are you trying to simp- hurt me? <laughs> no, <laughs> he simplifies our game plan, right? He he allows us to hit him early to get out of the press. You know, I was thinking about this today. You know, one of the things we forgetting about Chelsea game was we were outpowered in that Chelsea game. We weren't just, you know, we, we were beaten up physically. We were outpowered. And Giroud, you know, will give us that power. It, it wouldn't surprise me if Giroud played and Alexis went left and he went back to the formations that sort of worked for him early in the season, but obviously, to, you know, taking Awobi out and putting Alexis on the left-hand side. So it's an option, right? And we're not too sure, but I would go a 4-3-3. I would have three in. Shaka and Ox would be definitely two of my. I like El Nenia a lot, but if it was Cochrane, it wouldn't it wouldn't make me cry. I definitely would like to see um, Alexis up front with um, with Ozil nearby. Just get them two close together, and with with somebody else's running power, it's got to be a runner. Welbeck would be great. A big game for him for a big start. Welbeck would be great because I think he just has more impact in the game, more touches, more impact defensively. And I trust him not to switch off defensively in wide areas. So um, Welbeck would be great. But if he played Theo, again, it's the profile of the player. We need a runner as that third as that third forward. So let's see what the manager does. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would love to see Shaka play. I don't think he will. I, I, I hope he will. Um, Why don't you think he will? I just, I have a weird feeling that with him not having played, um, he will want to keep Francis Coughlin in the side. And so I, I think he may go for what he considers to be a safer option, which is Elneny and Coughlin, um, or, or even Ox and Coughlin. I, I don't, I just have a weird feeling that he doesn't fully trust Shaq. And maybe I'm totally out of my mind. We will see. Um, it also depends what's been going on in practice, right? Because we haven't seen Shaka for a while now, but it's not like he's not practicing. So, it may be the case that he's looking great in practice and the manager's still fine with him and everything's fine. Um, I, I do think that if we are going to be forced to sit deep, the one upside to Shaka, although I don't think he's a great tackler, is he's so great at playing those line-breaking passes, at at moving the ball forward quickly with long vertical passes, that that's what we need to spring from the back to the front. And I hope he'll go with a, a, a mobile and dynamic front line. I would love to see Ozil... Alexis and Welbeck, or even um, you know Alexis Welbeck and and Iwobi or Lucas or Theo, whoever it is, with Ozil at the ten. But I I think if you put Ozil in that sort of nominal left wing position, let him drift inside and and help link up during counterattacks and what you know what limited build up play we have, that's fine with me. Um, it's it's one of these situations where you know we haven't had the ho- the home leg second in so long. It would be nice to feel like we're in the tie at halftime. You know, we, we really haven't been in a tie at halftime for a while. So I think that'd be good. I mean, I my assumption is that David Ospina will come back in. Paul, I mean, is assuming that's correct, do you yes. have any misgivings about that? A bit, but uh, it makes, you know, uh, my assumption is he will too. So I'm not, I'm not going to put any cycles into it. Um, I thought Czech did well you know, against Hull, by the way. You know, I know he's been he's he been under fire, sort of, but I, you know, he I has. still I still think he's he's better than maybe we've made him out to be. And he's made some mistakes, and but I think there's been a lot of this. Oh, he could have got to that, and I look at it from 900 different angles. Not necessarily the game before last, the Chelsea game, but a few games ago, you'll or, or like 
earlier in the season, oh, I can't understand why he didn't have more of a go to save that. Well, because he had no fucking chance of getting to it. So I think we've been, somehow I think we've decided he's slower than he is. And now if he doesn't go for something, it's like his fault. So The upshot um, is I, I do think that uh, Ospina might be the better shot stopper at this point in his career. And um, that could be, we could be facing quite a few of those. So Yeah, if we just keep, say, Gibbs behind him when there's a shot coming in to stop him backing across the line, we should be fine. Yeah, what, what about you, Clive? I mean, do you have any misgivings about about having a cup keeper and going back to Spina for a big tie? I like what Benga's doing by giving Spina games. I think Spina's a good keeper. But it worries me that he's cold. It really does worry me. You know, he's he played against Southampton team where he didn't get much many touches of the ball. He hasn't had any international games to keep him to keep him fresh like he did previously before Christmas. So he's quite cold, right? And so um that does concern me because, you know, going to the Allianz Arena, that's gonna be a hot house, right? It's gonna be a a full on game and sixty thousand people and it it is it's a little bit of a worry, but the man is um, loyal. Uh, he'll do it. I don't think he's going to take him out for this game. So um, he plays, and um, he does suit European games. So he's fine by me. Okay, good enough. Well, let's do this. Let's wrap up with some predictions. Um, you know, I mean, it's really anyone's guess because it is fair to point out that Bayern, at least if you listen to people that support Bayern Munich, have not looked great, uh, seem to be struggling to find an identity and an answer, and they are an aging squad, but, you know, they're still probably the odds on favorites to walk away with the Bundesliga and probably will be favorites to win this tie. Um, Clive, let's keep it with you for a minute. What do you expect in the first leg? I'm, I'm hoping that some of our German players, particularly that Mustafi and Erz will really show up and players like Saka, who's actually played there. If they get the opportunity to play, I think they're going to play well. That's, that's my hope. I'm, I'm happy with a, with a, with a one, one. I, I, I just think we, I think we have got a good chance to score, but I think they're going to score. So one, one for me. Paul, what about you? Um, I think, all right. My bet would be we lose 2-1, and that's not a terrible result. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I would say it's a terrible it result. It might even suit us. All right. I mean, it's it's not as terrible a result as some of the results we've taken in the second legs recently. Um, you know, it's just tough, right? Because I we have seemed so vulnerable lately, and... Uh, it's it's hard to see us keeping them out, but at the same time, I do think we can cause them problems, and it wouldn't be surprise a surprise to me if we scored in this game. It just wouldn't be surprised to me if you know something happened, like maybe we even scored early and we're up one nil, and they came back and wound up getting you know an, an equalizer and two very late goals to break our hearts and and take a three one into the second leg, something like that. Um, you know, very Arsenal where it would be like build up our hope and then crush it late in the game. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say one one, where we kind of ride our luck towards the end and Ospina makes some crazy saves. Why not? And then uh, crazy you know, up, Dalius. I'm I am the funny thing is I always think it could go <laughs> you well. You always do. I don't know why. You pick us to win the league <laughs> or to Champions come League first or second. It's, it's yeah. really bizarre kind of bipolarity You're, that I have. It's your own fault. Well, look, all I this am, shit is your own fault. I am you? overdue for uh, more cold medicine. I want to thank both of you and the listener, Mom, for uh, putting up with uh, my sick performance today. Hopefully the uh, Arsenal will have no such excuses in midweek. So Champions League is back, and then we will uh, come back with another podcast after Sutton. You talk about vicissitudes in life. 
from Hull at home to Byron away to Sutton on a plastic pitch away. Yeah, only in football. Anyway, uh, you can find Clive on Twitter at Clive PAFC. And as always, Clive, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for asking me. Really loved it. Enjoyed it, mate. Thanks. Yeah, and Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. And as always, Paul, you were on. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Up the Arsenal. Up the Arsenal, indeed. Let's go. Come on. Look, it's the fucking Champions League, man. Can't we just luck? our way to one of these big ear trophies for fuck's sake come on arsenal all right we'll uh we'll come back and talk to you and break down everything that happened in the four nil away victory at byron talk to you then yes everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.